Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, the audio blog of Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent teachers unified by a shared vision of student flourishing and an innovative online platform that makes learning simple. Hello, I'm Scott Postma, your host, and I have with me Joffrey Swade, our student advisor. Hi, everybody. Hi, Scott. I am raring at the bit to have a leisurely podcast. This is going to be a very leisurely podcast. Um, as you know, I just got back from vacation and I'm doing the vacation punishment thing today. So <laughs> we're going to take this very leisurely. <laughs> and for a reason. Yeah. Because we both uh, have copies of a book we, we love right in front of us. This podcast is not about the book, but this is sort of what's inspiring the, the, the episode. Leisure, the Basis of Culture by Joseph Piper. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about leisure as what as as high art as lifestyle as the way to educate yeah leisure and knowledge in education how these two relate to each other and how those inform how education actually happens so yeah here we go well i'm going to start with uh, a wonderful introduction by james shawl someone i had the opportunity to meet online before he passed away recently Mm. Uh, but he uh, wrote a, a wonderful introduction to the most uh, recent Ignatius Press's recent uh, publication of Joseph uh, Pieper's work. And he opened saying this, when a culture is in the process of denying its own roots, it becomes most important to know what these roots are. We had best know what we reject before we reject it. If we're going to build a chair, the first thing we need to know above all else is what a chair is. Otherwise, we can do nothing. We're not a culture that never understood what a human being was in his nature and in his destiny. Rather, we are a culture that, having once known these things, has decided against living them or understanding them. And he goes on. But it is the genius of people to see that this activist, busy motion is the wrong starting point. Before we can pretend to do anything about the present, we must know what we are, what the world is, and yes, what God is. Construction of a civilization knows little or nothing of these deeper realities can only make things worse. Mm. You know, before we start to unpack this, I'd like to sort of comment on just, you know, the integration that happens when you're philosophizing. I mean, this touches profoundly on what we were talking about last week that's right you know i mean we had best know what we reject before we reject it and last week we talked a lot about the willful and vasty ignorance of people who are trying to destroy it and the 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 time frame that one of those women we talked about gave was 70 years yeah she was outraged that we were studying anything over 70 years old and so there's a willful ignorance and a willful destruction and then this text is so full of construction. Absolutely. And and runs exactly counter to what this ideology we talked to last, you know, last week was about. And and so in order to build a culture, we have to know, uh, as one farmer put it, you know, before you ever tear a fence down, you gotta know why the other farmer put it up, right? And and so before we try to make the culture better, before we try to progress, as the modern word is. We have to know what man is. We have to know 
uh, how he comes into his own or understands who he is, uh, who God is in, in relationship, uh, you know, yes. uh, knowing himself in relationship to God in the cosmos. So we have to learn all these things. And that takes time. It does. Yes. It takes time to learn. And then, of course, it's going to take time to build. Um, and, you know, so many of the Christian efforts to restore and preserve are sort of scrambling all hands on deck efforts. There's not the long term generational thinking, which admittedly is hard in right. crisis, but, you know, let's find something positive to do right now. But there are also need to be Christians who are you know, more trowel than spear, right? right? They, yeah. uh, they're both necessary, but there has to be that long term. Like, eventually, we've got to get this wall up and eventually, we've got to build this temple. You know, I, I, I look at this, this, this text. Uh, from leisure, the basis of culture, you're talking about building something. Yeah. So why, why is a passage like that in a book about leisure? What is leisure? Well, we, we start with the idea, actually, if, if we kind of set up a, a sort of uh, progression, if, if we're wanting to build culture, then we, we step back and realize that culture is built from right education, mm. but right education takes place in leisure. And uh, interestingly enough, leisure happens as a basis of cultus. Uh, and this is one of the, the, the thesis of, of Pieper's work here is the idea that the cultus, this idea of the primitive divine uh, worship, the sacrifice, community sacrifice that uh, the community shares in this leisure, this inactivity or higher activity that, that replaces work is really the basis of contemplating divine things, which then is contemplating what man is and then contemplating what man should do. Right. Okay. So this is, this is sort of the progress that, that he lays out. And I know this is something that, uh, you know, much hay has been made of ad nauseum perhaps, mm -hmm. but yeah. I'm willing to, to nauseate our audience by repeating something they've probably heard many times. There's one guy listening to this who hasn't heard this, which is that the cultus and culture and agriculture are all the same. Cultivation, right? right? It's all the same. Worship and planting and eating and harvesting and having things in common, all of it is one and the same. That's right? exactly the right. sacrifices of Israel were eaten right. by by God's people. And so it all it all it all is together. And so when we're talking about cultus, you know, we have to be talking about education, about the raising of our children, because right. we're forming these children into people who will participate in all of that. Exactly. And, and that's why this episode is really important, because we're talking about this kind of approach to education in light of the modern use of the word school. Okay, mm -hmm. So we, we think of, uh, of the school today where we're kind of pumping out students who are taken from the family. They are, at least in the public school setting, they're, they're put into an institution where they're taken from the family and they are lockstep guided through a curriculum that eventually gets them out into the job market, right? They, they're right. discipled into consumers who then participate in this market. And so they are being cultivated to a particular end, but that end is completely, um, ironically, completely opposite when we think of school of what that is supposed to actually be. Right. And in, and this goes all the way back to linguistic roots. Right. 
right? Because you know, if we if, if we're talking about leisure in Greek, we're talking about skole, skole, right? Or in Latin, skola. Yeah. And we go from there. I mean, so that obviously is the root for the word school. school. It just that concept. How shattering is that for so many of our of our conceptions? Right. Now, so many of us we're homeschoolers. We're classical educators. Our kids go to classical schools. We ideally want to go to classical Christian university, and this is our mentality. And yet, that modern Prussian mentality of you know producing a citizen for the state and being efficient about it and basically treating it like a factory that never quite leaves our mindset if we were raised in that. It, right? it doesn't. Right? And so then the idea that the the very word school could come from leisure. Is I think that's earth shattering. Well, it is, and it's 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 so ironic. It's it's so um, not paradoxical, but just so opposite of what what we would think. And and this is what's what's really strange is that because we don't, if we don't stop and think about this, a lot of times what happens in a Christian school or or even a private school is we take uh, the same framework um, that yes. we borrowed from the Prussians, and then we maybe add a. Bible class or chapel or or some Christian context to it, but we haven't really changed the fundamental understanding of what education looks like. I in would leisure. say, yeah, and I would say that that happens not not only to Christian schools broadly, yeah. uh, but to classical Christian schools. Right. You know, very often there's this, you know, so the veneer goes beyond just that. You know, the, okay, well, we have chapel now uh, and we have a Bible class, but it goes all the way into well, now we have Latin class. Or, mm -hmm. or we do actually study the Greeks. Uh, that does not a classical education make. They may be fundamental, core aspects, uh, but that's not you know that's not the thing. Right. You can study ancient Greek quite well and be neither classical nor Christian. Yeah, you're just you're adding classical elements to something that is not classical right. in its foundation and its structure. And so I think there's an argument that could be mounted to say that if the education is not leisurely, it's not classical. I think that's a good argument. I think a, a serious argument could be made or should be actually made for that, which is sort of ironic coming from, uh, and I'm using that word ironic quite often. Aren't it's I? actually very brave of you. People <laughs> who are willing to use the word irony and be sure that it doesn't mean sarcasm <laughs> while being recorded mm. are very brave. You're very brave, sir. Well, if as a, a classical online, we'll talk about this in a second, platform, um, almost seems opposite even, you know, when we think about the distractions that come because of, you know, the modern world that we're in, right. how then does a classical online platform actually cultivate this kind of leisurely education that we're talking about? And I think that's an important thing that we need to get to eventually. Maybe we're not ready to talk about that in detail yet, but it's a place we need to go and answer the question, how can students in this world get that kind of education is yes that, is that even possible so i think that's what we should absolutely tackle next but i i, I want to sort of promise listeners whose hackles were raised whose alarm bells went off and maybe thinking so are these guys just giving up on the idea of excellence no we will talk about excellence after we after we talk <laughs> about about how how do we get leisure on in online education because we we believe that leisure is the path to excellence. Right. Absolutely. Well, if we start with the idea, um, a, a couple of places we could start, but let's start with the idea 
that philosophy in its most fundamental sense is the pursuit of wisdom. And to really truly philosophize, we have to be free from the practical considerations, the practical interferences of regular life. And so to philosophize, a student has to do this in leisure. And when we talk about leisure, I think one thing we need to clear up that we haven't yet is leisure is not entertainment. Leisure is not amusement, right? We're, we're not talking about these things. We're not talking about sitting on the couch with your feet propped up with a, you know, uh, a drink in one hand and a remote in the other. We're not talking about slothfulness, but we're talking about a higher activity that we're going to do when all the other things are finished. Yes. Right? Well, you know, there's a, a line from Piper, Peeper. <laughs> Um, that I think is absolutely perfect for this, which is that leisure is not the cessation of work, but work of another kind, work restored to its human meaning as a celebration and a festival. Yes. So it's a higher kind of activity, isn't it? Yeah. Well, Aristotle said that we are unleisurely in order to have leisure. So leisure is what we all work toward. Now, in our modern American culture, we often think of we're working toward Friday, right? So right. everybody's, you know, put in the, the full work week. Friday, we're going to party. Friday, we're going to let our hair down. Friday, we're going to relax. Friday, we're going to do whatever. And that's is. what leisure activities are, right? Sure. That's, that's our conception. Right. Okay, leisure means I get to veg out in the backyard or I get to go somewhere and have no one bother me. Yep. You know, I'm going to lay in the beach or whatever. Yep. That's leisure. No, no, no. No. Leisure is actually going to make something beautiful for you. And if you're making, you're working. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe we start then even with the understanding of Sabbath. So leisure has to start in Sabbath. Um, it, it starts in the idea of what we often think of the um, uh, covenant renewal service, right? So this is that you know, going back to the cultists. And, and we start in that. And we begin to contemplate the higher things. Mm. But we have to set time aside to do that. We, we have to put aside activities that are um, fundamentally about, you know, making capital, getting wealth, paying the bills, you know, doing those kinds of work, which are all important works. But we start there. And out of that then flows the opportunity to contemplate. Um, and, and if we think of knowledge in two ways, contemplation and observation. So contemplating is just observing the intellectus thinking of it intuitively as a landscape before our eyes uh, people will say that we are able just to contemplate the truth and then we're able to act upon it and that that's where the actual observation we measure it we weigh it we consider it we analyze it and and so now we're reflecting we're contemplating on these ideas these truths that start in um, the cultus and then work its way into the greater ideas that, that we, that we consider of life. Right. Well, you know, you're, you're saying things like making time and contemplating. So what about the, the use of time? And, you know, there have, there have been human beings through history who have had no leisure. Right. Slaves. There is no one listening to this podcast right now who has who lacks the time to make leisure and make good things from that. Right. Now I'm willing to say that no one, if I do not meet all of you before my death, then come to me after the resurrection <laughs> and prove me wrong. <laughs> all of you have, have that time. Right. Uh, 
and and it's just you know the, this is a blessing God has given us. You know, we complain about the times we live in, and awful things are happening. And uh, well, let me not enumerate the awful things. There are many evils, but we like we have even less excuse because of all the leisure we have right now. We we should be making goodness, truth, and beauty all the time. And what you're talking about, talking about time, is really interesting because there are two Greek words. Uh, one of them actually fits into this idea of leisure. So we have chronos, right? So the idea that there is um, uh, consecutive moments passing, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's the kairos. Mm-hmm. This is that time where you are contemplating. This is that time where that intersectionality takes place uh, between the idea and, and yourself. And so, you know, I really, <laughs> I hate that you use the word intersectionality. <laughs> it was so correct, of course, but with its <laughs> its current philosophical implications. Let's go with integration. Is that, it's lyrically uglier, but. Well, it's, there is a sort of, uh, Kairos is that. You know, crossing. It, yeah. it is. It's 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 crossing the chronos, if you will. So that so we're no longer in that chronology. We're right. not letting time dominate us. We're not caught up in the time. But it's we are a, the lords of time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's some. If if we have an eternal perspective, yeah, we have time for contemplation. We do. But that kairos time is that time where we're where where it actually there's this meaningful. Um, Sometimes we think of it as an epiphany moment, that time that we're yes. thinking about uh, these things that, you know, Well, and that epiphany moment, that, that understanding just wouldn't come un- unless you had had that time. Right. Um, and I can give a very just quotidian, relatively dull example. Um, Christmas break just came for our Kepler classes, and I rejoiced when it arrived, um, not just because of the break, um, but because I knew that when my students came back, they'd remember more Spanish than they did at that moment. Right. They needed time for their for their minds to handle what they'd learned. Just to sit. Yeah. And that's not or, purposeful. It's not like no. they were sitting and I will contemplate the beauties of Spanish now. Just but just that factor of time alone was something I was, I was looking forward to seeing the effects of that when they came back. That's funny because we were just talking about this as we got back today, uh, one of our classes uh, meeting, uh, and we were reading Quintilian, who talks about in education that students need to have vacation. If they don't have that time, then they're, they're not able to absorb and yes. their minds to rest and for those conce- concepts to actually materialize uh, and, and actually come into being in yeah. their minds. Well, you know, you and I have been having conversations for months about classical Christian education now. And, uh, you know, two things that we've hit upon quite a lot uh, come to bear on this. Um, one is is thinking about the liberal arts and the servile arts. Right. Right. Uh, you know, so when we mentioned time, mm-hmm. right, and then leisure, well, you know, slaves had no leisure. But beyond slaves, I mean, many people who just they simply had to break their backs to harvest their crops, to to hunt animals down, and to you know make cloth and wash the clothes. I mean, that just occupied all of your time. That's right, staying alive occupied all your time. So there's that that wonderful blessing of being able to be liberal and to mm-hmm. study liberal arts, to just have arts. Right. Like what a thing. And then, you know, kind of building on that, we've often talked about what a privilege it is to be able to have access to all these educational resources 
and well, let's say hire a teacher for yourself, right? Yep. In in Athens, twenty five hundred years ago, who would have had a music teacher? Who would have had a philosophy teacher? The wealthy. Only the wealthy. Yeah. That's right. And now here we are, and you know, God has blessed us to such a degree that we are among those wealthy. And there's a responsibility to that. There's a responsi- responsibility to take that leisurely education. Yes. So, the, and and this really leads me to think in terms of regimes. You were just talking about the wealthy, right? So, if you were in an aristocratic society or even monarchical, if if you were uh, in in some capacity wealthy, you could get that education. In our modern democratic society, it's sort of a two-edged sword, right? We we have it, it sort of levels the playing ground. It gives um, more people the opportunity to be able to have this kind of education. Mm. But the flip side of that is having it, we usually don't use it for that. Right. We end up using it for things like the entertainment and, and amusement and, and the, the distractions really that fill up our time. And and I think this is a place where we have to be intentional. Yes. And when you think of something like you were saying, being able to hire a teacher, this is one of the things and, you know, not to you know, the goal of this isn't to plug Kepler, but we're going to plug Kepler. We're doing here. that effectively too, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, Kepler gives you the opportunity uh, by leveraging these modern technologies, not to be distracted by it, but really to take control of it and be able to, you know, access good teachers who yes. you could bring in to influence and, um, and, and serve your family. And, you know, and we're not talking about, you know, we, we've talked about responsibility and, and using, you know, using your time. Um, we're not talking about, well, now that you're out of school or now mm-hmm. that you're done with work, go make some chairs, go build some model trains. Like, like they're, they're, you know, that's, that's useful and that's not, you know, like go, go study more or whatever it is, you know, uh, it's not my job, but I'm taking these classes. Do that if you wish. Right. But, you know, so, you know, Piper uses the, this Latin expression in the introduction to his book, bona non utilia said honesta so bona non utilia said honesta a good uh, not a useful good uh but an an honest good a a, a venerable a, good yes a pious good yeah that's right so you know this this good that brings honor yeah right uh and so that's how we should be thinking right we you know the the drum we beat again and again is an education is the formation of a human should be after the image of christ and so your leisure time is the time when you're making yourself a man a woman right this is the time when you are becoming more fully human your work may or may not do that i mean the bible depending on what it is the bible talks about work as a blessing and a curse, mm-hmm. right? But leisure is pure blessing because leisure should be taking you toward that, that honestness, that honor, you know, and it's, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. And by making yourself more beautiful, more true, more good, um, that's, that's really a higher thing. Yes, it is. Um, if, if you think about the kinds of knowledge when, when we uh, go back to the classic world and the kinds of knowledge that made up the faculty of, of the mind, there's something called the intellectus and then something called the ratio. Um, and so ratio, what, 
you know, we automatically think of rational or, or the reason, right? And so this is discursive. This is, this is the working part of, of the mind. Mm. It's what measures, evaluates, compares. Um, sometimes we call it observation. But then there was another part called the intellectus. Um, and this they often thought of simplex intuitus, the, the divine. It's truth offering itself as a landscape to the eye, sometimes called contemplation. So leisure gives you the opportunity to both contemplate and then to observe that thing. So, so you, you take it in and then you're able to the mind to act upon it. And so this is why it's a higher kind of, of activity is because you're actually working on that toward human flourishing, toward the flourishing of the mind, toward the flourishing of the, of the person, which is apart from the work that we do to put food on the table and, and take care of ourselves. Yeah. I mean, that I, way. I think there's a similar, similar relationship, uh, between ratio and intellectus and logic and rhetoric, mm -hmm. right? Um, you know, rhetoric is, is the higher and the greater, right? right. The, the logic is what makes you able to be a rhetorician, Correct. you know, and, and, you know, ratio, it's not that it makes you able to contemplate, um, but it, it has its limitations. It's not, it doesn't apprehend. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so there's a, there's a, a great, there's a greater completion to the, to the intellectus, right. You know, so truth offers itself as a, as a landscape to the eye, right. You can apprehend, you see, you know, there's an aesthetic element to it that, you know, Absolutely. is, is harder right. to get to with ratio. The intellectus is that thing that we can't often explain why we know what it is. So you look outside right. and you see, you know, if you live in the Northwest, you look outside in January and this is white fluffy stuff falling, you go, oh, it's snowing. Yeah. Well, you haven't gone out and measured it. You haven't gone out and taken its temperature or, or you know, maybe it was cotton falling from the skies. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you would never assume that. So the intellectus sees and, and apprehends this thing. Or in, in most cases, you look and see that's a man or that's a woman simply just by observation or, or I'm using not the technical observation, but just simply by, um, by it's the intellect is, you know, intuiting what, you yes. know, what we're looking at. And that, you know, that, that, you know, that sort of contemplation can take us uh, to places where we're say contemplating a work of beauty right. or contemplating the work we have done or contemplating our spouse, you know, whatever it, it, it may be. And. Well, this is the very opposite this is the very opposite of what kind of knowledge that you often see taking place on the internet, right? So in, in our modern age, we have this Google sort of knowledge, right? Right. I'll just go look it up. All right. So, and, and, and I, I hear teachers actually encouraging, you know, students just to go look it up. Let's just, you know, you go find it. We don't need to memorize. No, that's right. We don't need to contemplate. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's, that the ratio can, you can grind that out. Right. Right. That's work. But, yeah. Right. But, and it's the sort of work that you can grind. Right. Right. Uh, but with, with contemplation, you can't grind that out to get the results. If we're going to think in a utilitarian way, you have to stop and smell the roses. Right. That's exactly it. That's, that's, and a rose is a great, um, <laughs> you know, that's a great illustration because how do you describe the beauty of a rose, you know, or, you know, you encounter it and, and you know that that's beautiful. Right. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit, um, uh, moving, you know, off this idea that, um, we know that there's a leisure and that's opposed or opposite to the modern idea of school. Yeah. And we know that the modern distracted age with the internet and all the, the, the tools and things that come from there 
it offers a kind of knowledge, but a, a, I would say a lesser quality knowledge, that kind of knowledge that's very utilitarian. You, you find it and, and lose it versus the kind of knowledge that comes from contemplation and observation, that kind of knowledge that you um, really store up in the collective memory, right? Mm. Uh, so you've got personal memory and the collective memory. This is the thing we can ruminate and contemplate. I think that's great because, you know, I think as you were talking, conversation yes. came to mind. Yes. It's one of the ways. That is one of the ways. So how then in a modern context where um, let's say Kepler, for example, we're an online platform and we're offering, you know, education to students, um, which you, you would think at first glance, well, you're, you're taking them online. Isn't that where distraction takes place? Right. Um, how then do students get the kind of education we're talking about, this leisurely education in an online platform like Kepler where families can choose their teacher. And and I'd like to talk just practically, you know, what does that look like? Do they fill up their schedule? I mean, they've got a full schedule now and they just take the classes online. Right. Or what, what does that look like? Yeah, well, you know, we we purposely structure things in such a way to, to encourage this leisure. Now, of course, the, the thing that we depend upon the most is actually our teachers, right? Right. Our teachers set that atmosphere and teach in that leisurely way, right? Uh, but structurally, you know, our, our classes only usually only get together once a week for recitation. There's a lecture that's pre-recorded usually beforehand, and there are all these assignments and all these readings you might do depending on the course. But then for an hour and a half, two hours a week, you're all together with the teacher, and that time. It's it's not called lecture. It's called recitation because that time is conversation. That time is Socratic. That time is discipled. Yes, I, I was contemplating. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be good then. <laughs> that I was going to set you up for an infomercial. You know, let's talk about what is a recitation. You know, I didn't want it to sound too infomercially. How did uh, I do? Uh, no, you did fantastic. <laughs> um, but but coming from the, as the student advisor, right? So a student comes from the public school saying, "Okay, we recognize that we want to get off, you know, the Prussian model school, right. where we are grinding it out all day, thirty hours a week in the classroom, homework, you know, all night." And you're telling me the student's going to come to a class where they're going to spend an hour and a half a week with the teacher, or two hours a week with the teacher and read these difficult works yes. and they're going to get a better education. Yeah. So, and this, this is actually a huge adjustment for the families. It really is. And in a sense, temporarily it's more work, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> because you, you have suddenly you're telling a 13 year old uh, that they need to manage their own time. Wow. Right. You yeah. know, you should be reading this and, and contemplating it. Yep. <laughs> and we're going to be talking about it, but you know, we're not going to tell you where to be every day, all day. So the onus of responsibility, the, the onus of their education actually goes back on to the student. It, it comes back to the family, to the parents and the, and the student. But yeah, the student has to, uh, ha has to be thinking about their own time and their own study, but that actually should be creating. And, you know, and I tell families this, uh, this creates you know an active mindset when it comes to study. It's so easy to be in class every single day and you have seven classes and be passive and simply be at the at the at one end of a data dump right, right? Not every student does that mm -hmm. but structurally it's easy to just 
turn yourself off. So this is the difference between when we talk about teaching, right? Because right. if a teacher's just teaching, the student's just passively sitting back and may or may not be taking it in. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't agree with that only because of how you're using the word teaching. Okay. But yeah, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. Teaching ought to be something else than what we tend to think of it as. So talk about that. You're talking about the Socratic. You're talking about the midwifery. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's exactly right. Uh, I think midwifery is great. There's a, a, a part of element to there. Right? We're, 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 I we're, stole that from Socrates, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you feel you have to give credit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you're going to get sued by Socrates' estate. <laughs> I don't want to be drinking in hemlock. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's this, you know, there's a, a, a much more engaged and participative sense for the classical the classical teacher uh, it's it's much more relational it's much more about drawing this yeah. out from the student and you know we, we we have spoken before about how you know the best teachers have that which is classical in them right, right. it's not like there's some sort of it's not a copyrighted method right, right? you know there's not a process that you that's eat, exactly right and follow and yeah. so good teachers if they have the right circumstances do this in another system, but you know, one system piles on top of another, and then you're unable to work on humanizing your little humans. Um, but yeah, so so ha, ha, this more conversational Socratic mentorship, discipleship, midwifery uh, thing is, is what it's about. I mean, I just got out of giving uh, an oral exam. It was like three quarters oral, mm -hmm. right? And um, what a shock for uh, a lot of families that would be. Right. Right. Is that this is a huge part of these students' grade. And what they did was talk to me about the stuff we'd learned. Which is now this comes back to the idea that education has to be measurable. Right. You know, you know the, the the scholastic or not and I'm not using scholastic in the yeah. in the ancient way, but I mean the, the modern scholastic way that we're going to Well, well this is perfectly uh about about leisure, right? That's right. Because you know, and and what you said about ratio and intellectus, right? we are we are not necessarily being you know being rational to, <laughs> to use to, to use that word incorrectly, but to connect to ratio, we we are actually attempting to be intelligent about this. Correct. We are attempting to apprehend and comprehend the learning of the student, and the student is attempting to be rhetorical about this, right? To be to be engaged with what they've learned and be able to project it themselves. So it's a much more organic thing. It's not about uh, remembering all of those dates in that history class you took five years ago. It's about being able to explain all the history you learned from five years ago. That's right. To discourse. To discourse. Well, I heard one classical educator say that uh, classical education is the ability to uh, to teach students or help students learn to um, apprehend and appreciate that which is good, true, and beautiful. And I might add to that also approximate their lives mm. to that which is good, true, and beautiful. So they have to apprehend it. They have to learn to appreciate it. Yep. And then they learn to approximate their lives to it. Can I just say as an aside that I love the word apprehend. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's linked to romance languages for just learning, which is cool in itself. But, you know, apprehension is the sudden seizing of the thing. Yes. You know, there's there's a oneness to learning. You talked about that moment of, of epiphany, mm -hmm. right? And it's not like, uh, you know, that teachers and students are just waiting around for an epiphany suddenly to strike. Like it takes work and it takes leisure. Uh, 
But you know, th- that's really what, what we're training in ourselves is the ability not only to comprehend, but to apprehend, to seize upon, and to seize upon suddenly the truth, the goodness, the beauty. I love that word. And it's, it's fabulous um, as we relate it to you know, epiphany or this idea, because that's what every teacher wants to see in their student, right? right. That moment of that, apprehension. Yes. Oh. When all of a sudden they're like, <laughs> I got it. And that stays with them. Yes. That, that's when, that's when it, it actually, stays with the teachers too. It, it is quite a sentimental moment. It, it is, <laughs> but it belongs to the student. Yes, now, it does. Right. And it's not something they're ever going to have to go look up on the internet. Right. They will always know that thing. Yes. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it or even calling it a thing is, <laughs> is doing a, an unpoetic injustice to it. No, I, I, th- I don't think it is. I, <laughs> now that you bring that up, this is a really good time. I wanted to see if I could find a way to work this in. So, um, yeah, so you're just waiting for me to say poetic. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's this, this wonderful line in, in Wordsworth's, um, uh, the preface to the lyric ballads. Mm. Um, and, and he, he says this, he said, I have said that poetry is the spontaneous overflow of powerful feelings. It takes its origin from emotion recollected in tranquility. The emotion is contemplated till by a species of reaction, the tranquility gradually disappears and an emotion kindred to that, which was before the subject of contemplation is gradually produced and does itself actually exist in the mind. So, it, so it's a thing. It comes into being. It's been reified. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, so wonderful. Oh, that's beautiful. So just to wrap this up, um, there's a, I know we've kind of been all over the place and, and there's a lot of things we could talk about. Um, and, and we did take some shameless plugs for Kepler in this episode, which I don't you know feel bad about. At all. Yep. Um, but the idea that school is not about busy work, right? It's about leisure. It's etymologically rooted. School's about school. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so we, we learn in leisure because we, we come back to that primitive way of, of contemplation and, um, and, and apprehension, right? So we contemplate yes. and observe and we apprehend. And as teachers, um, teachers who are classically minded are the kind of teachers who are going to act like a midwife and help draw that out and help the students give birth to that idea, if you will. Yes. And not, you know, they're not lecturing, they're not telling them where to go look it up, but helping them give birth to these ideas. And and a wonderful thing about a platform like Kepler and a consortium of teachers that we have is that parents have the access to these teachers, not keeping their kids online all day. They're not sending them out 30 hours a week into, you know, some, you know, otherness, you know, being influenced and discipled uh, into being consumers, but rather they have access to these teachers who will help them give birth to these big ideas. And and parents have full control over that. Yeah. You know, a, a drum we will always beat is, is that drum that education is, a foundational, a principal way of, of forming humans and therefore of spreading the gospel and of building up the church, right? Yes. Of having justice in the world. Everything, everything is affected by building, education. Building culture. Right. So, you know, we, we have no modest view of, edu- of education, right? It's building right. culture. Yep. We've, we've talked about that. We will continue to, to beat that drum. Uh, but, you know, I think it's useful to think you know, as, as we realize, oh, 
leisure is such a foundational thing it must be in our education what this means is that we need to have a leisurely approach to all of life if we are to be truly fruitful right right our hearts are restless until they rest in In thee right right, augustine and so you know this this when we're at church when we're worshiping with our brothers and sisters you know how many how many conversations have you had at church that would have benefited from a little more leisure yeah you know how many projects are you working on how many relationships do you have how many conversations with your wife hey a little more leisure right how many meals would have been better if you had been more leisurely about it and it's a difficult thing, I think. Um, you know, this is going <laughs> to in our American, yeah. And I, and I'm a capitalist. I'm all for capital, but in our <laughs> American capitalist society, yeah, um, we have really um, become utilitarian. Yeah, um, we have forgotten this idea of leisure, um, and and that might account for. You know, coming back to this opening comment, you know, when a culture's in the process of denying its own roots, it becomes most important to know what these roots are. Yeah, and we've right. got to have leisure yes. if we're going to contemplate what these are. And so a lot of times some of the very same people who are critical of some of the uprooting and in, in, in turmoil that's happening are people who haven't learned to be leisurely. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, and I, I have, uh, Scott, a... A world-shaking book proposal for you. Okay. Okay. Leisurely Capitalism by Scott Postma and Joffrey Swate. (laughs) Are you on board? (laughs) I'm on board. Let's let's see what we can do about that. (laughs) Well, thank you for uh, taking some time out of your day to to chat with me, and I hope our listeners can can gain some uh, some things on this. And by all means. you can contact us in the show notes. Uh, yeah, all of our information's there. And we'd love to chat with you about these ideas and come by Kepler.education. Check out our teachers and uh, hit us up if you want to chat. Any final words? Well, I was about to say so long, everybody. So I guess I'll stick with, stick with that. <laughs> so long. So long. <laughs>